Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you will continue to speak to our hearts as we continue in worship. That we will be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever had the experience of obeying God and instead of life becoming easier, it seems to get more difficult? Have you ever done what you firmly believe God is asking you to do? And because of that decision, it seems that negative things rather than positive things have happened. Lord lays on your heart to to uh, be more generous with the church or a missionary or another Christian organization. And you really sacrifice and you give and you do it joyfully and you, and you do it from a pure heart. And two days later, you have a, a financial setback. Something with the car, something with the house. And you scratch your head and wonder, what in the world's going on here? I remember... A number of years ago, the, the wife of a, of a former youth pastor was, was uh, in great, with great kindness taking one of the high school girls to a meeting and uh, gave her a ride. And in the process of that, hit some ice, had an accident, totaled their car. They've never had a car since then, as nice as the one they lost that night. You were... In the middle of an exam and you look around and you notice that five or six people are cheating. And you are really tempted to do that, but you decide, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. And when you get the papers back, you get a C and they get an A. When we find ourselves in those circumstances, you can't help but look at God and say, what are you doing here? What's going on? Lord... I, I try to do the right thing, and don't you care? And that's the exact same question that the disciples asked Jesus and the boat on the lake with the storm raging. Jesus, don't you see the storm coming here? Don't you recognize that we're about to go under? Lord, don't you care? And it's a question that people have been asking of God through the centuries. And in this brief vignette from the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel, we get a little bit of an idea of what God expects from us when that question comes to our minds. It's been a long day and and so many people have come to Jesus that... They're shoving him off the shore into the water. And so they get a boat and he sits down in the boat. And and from there he teaches the people. Hours on end teaching them. On this day particularly about the kingdom of God. And one of the... Jesus tells a parable about a mustard seed. And he says, you know, it looks like nothing. But you just wait. It becomes something great. And he tells the disciples later that he's trying to help them understand... A picture of the kingdom of God... 
that what looks to be small grows and grows and grows. And it comes a great revelation of God. And then ending this parable, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now you notice the trip is not their idea. It's his idea. He's the one that that instigates the trip. And they look at the sky. It seems clear. They look at the water. It seems calm. So they say, let's go. They don't even really think twice about it. He says that they took Jesus just as he was. They hop in the boat and they go. And it must have been a a decent night for sailing because there are other boats out there too. Everybody's thinking, good night to be on the water. And as the disciples get going, Jesus goes to the stern of the ship, finds a cushion, lies down, falls asleep. They're in the middle of the lake when this, out of nowhere, the storm comes up on them. It's a fierce storm. I mean, the number of the disciples are fishermen. They've spent their lives on the lake. They know how to handle storms. They're scared to death. And they're out there trying to fight this storm. I was talking with this, about this with someone this week, and they, they asked, you know, I wonder how long it took the disciples to finally go wake up Jesus. I can see them in a huddle Should we go get him? Not, you know, watching the water into the boat. They're trying to bail. It's just keep more and more. You know, it's not letting up. Jesus is still sleeping. You know, and they keep, should we, should we not? Should we, should we not? Back and forth. And finally, I'm pretty sure it was Peter. Peter said, I don't care what you guys think. I don't care what Jesus thinks. I'm waking him up. And he goes over and he shakes Jesus. And all of them around Jesus, Lord, wake up. Don't you see the storm? And they hit him with the big question. Lord, don't you care that we drown? Don't you care? What a revealing question. Because underlying that question that the disciples ask, and honestly that we ask, is this mindset that bad things shouldn't happen to God's people. Bad things shouldn't happen to people who are doing what God wants them to do. Now, if people are doing wrong things, hey, they're on their own. That's their problem. But if you take the right path and you make the right choices and you obey God, you shouldn't have to run into problems. Because when life gets tough and the storms of life are shoving on us and, and swamping us, and we say, Lord, don't you care, don't we really mean... Lord, I shouldn't have to go through this. I'm one of your people. It's not hard to put ourselves into the boat with the disciples. Now, everything that happens in our lives is not God's will. We're not fatalists. There there are things that happen to us that are in direct opposition to his will. And we bring some things on ourselves with our own decisions. We need to acknowledge that. We get in the crosshairs of other people's decisions and the consequences that they face. And because we live in a world where we're all connected to one another. And decisions other people make often have effects on us. And then there is the attack of the enemy in our lives. And you can never discount that because Satan's goal is to destroy God's kingdom and God's people. And that's why 
following God often leads to heightened opposition. Because the enemy is after us. The enemy wants to defeat us and to defeat God's kingdom and to eventually extinguish God's people and God's kingdom. Now, this is more than just an ordinary storm. Mark says it's a furious storm. And you get the sense as the story unfolds and as you begin to think about the implications of it, that this really is, excuse me, this really is a demonic attack. It's not a coincidental storm. It's not insignificant that in chapter 1, verse 25 of Mark, as Jesus is dealing with a, with a, a demonic presence, Mark uses the same words of be still and rebuke. Same kind of dynamics. And the storm is Satan's attempt to destroy the kingdom of God. Jesus has been teaching the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's going to start small and grow large. And at this stage of the kingdom, it's in its infancy. In fact, the whole kingdom is in that boat. The seed of the kingdom is in the middle of that storm. Jesus and his 12 disciples. No wonder Satan tries to sink them. If he can take them down, it's done. The storm that comes up in this situation and in our lives is often the presence of the evil one attempting to destroy us. And our difficulties that we the difficulties that we face in life may well be the enemy's attempt to prevent us from what God wants us to be. And so you think about your life and And you make an obedient choice. Out of nowhere, storms come up. You're expecting clear skies and and calm seas. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in the greatest storm you've ever faced. And we often respond to those difficulties with fear. We feel abandoned by God. We feel that God doesn't care for us. We panic. We accuse God. We question God's commitment to us. Lord, why is this happening to me? Lord, don't you care about me? Don't you care about your kingdom in this earth? Aren't you interested in this? Maybe it happened to other people, but shouldn't we get special privileges? After all, I'm part of the seed of your kingdom. And we act as though difficulty in life means that God has abandoned us. And that ease in life means that God is with us. But the scriptures tell us that God is always with us. The 139th Psalm tells us, if I go up to the heavens, Lord, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And it's important for us to realize that that there are forces at work against us, against God's kingdom, trying to defeat us and to destroy God's kingdom. And though God is patient with our accusations and with our struggles and handling it, His desire is that we trust Him, have faith, and believe. It's interesting that Jesus rebukes His disciples 
in the same way that he rebukes the satanic attack of the evil one. And Jesus rebukes them with two questions. And they're really opposite sides of the same coin. Remember, the questions of Jesus seem to always be at the center of whatever's going on. He says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so despondent, so cowardly, so timid? And he follows that with a second question. Do you still have no faith? After all we've been through, after all I've taught you, you still have no faith? Mark paints a, a powerful picture in these just these few verses. It's a picture of contrast of the disciples crazed with fear and of Jesus sound asleep. It's an issue of faith and trust. I'm not sure that there's any more vulnerable state than sleep. When we are sleeping, we are completely vulnerable. And that's why when we feel threatened, we don't sleep. You know, we, if we feel threatened, we, we plan, we prepare, we sit, eyes wide open. The last thing you want to do is sleep. It's too vulnerable a position. And yet here's Jesus, relaxed, sleeping, even in the midst of the storm. And there is something of faith and trust in his heavenly father, his ability to be so vulnerable in the midst of a storm. He isn't worried because he trusts his father. That no matter what storms come, the kingdom of God will not go to the bottom of that lake. The kingdom of God will not be extinguished. And here are the disciples saying, don't you care? When Jesus says, do you still have no faith? I think he's saying to them, don't you grasp what I'm trying to teach you? Don't you see, don't you understand that demonic is going to come against you because you're on my side. But it can't defeat you because my power is in you. When life gets tough, do you believe that God is bigger and greater and stronger? When the enemy attacks you, do you believe that the kingdom of God will continue to stand, even if God isn't doing what we think he ought to be doing? I don't think Jesus is surprised by the storm. But I do think he's surprised and disappointed by the disciples' response. Most of the time when we think about this passage, we, we tend to think that when the storms of life come, if we have enough faith and trust, God will calm them for us. But I don't think that's what he's telling us. I think he's telling us that the storms are going to come and sometimes God calms them, sometimes he doesn't. You'll notice that, that Jesus really seems to only rebuke the wind and the waves because he needs it quiet so he can talk to his disciples. He has to calm things down so he can teach them. And he rebukes them because he has to do that, because they're so afraid. 
And there is this level of disappointment in Jesus that their faith is so minimal and, and so weak and their fear is so strong that they just can't rest in the loving care of their heavenly Father. And so when Jesus says, quiet, be still, I don't think he's just talking to the wind and the waves. I think he's talking to the disciples too. And surely in those words, it comes echoing into their minds and perhaps into ours, those words from the 46th Psalm that we read earlier. The earth is crumbling. Nations are in uproar. Everything is falling apart. And what's the answer? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am the sovereign God and my kingdom is safe and secure. Jesus doesn't minimize the storm. He doesn't tell them, oh, come on, guys, this is nothing. I mean, a lot worse stuff than this. There will be. He just doesn't tell them that yet. And no one, no one in, in the right mind would argue that you and I live in perilous times today. The church, God's people, we're under attack. The kingdom of God is being pressed from every side and, and it's, it's, it's tempted to erosion from within. God's people are up against it. And we shouldn't minimize that. The storm is real. He's not telling us to live in denial or to lie about what's really going on. We acknowledge the storm. It's real. And there's going to be a certain level of fear that just comes to us naturally in our, as human beings. But the real issue, I think, that, that disturbs Jesus is not so much even their fear, except that what their fear seems to reveal that Jesus doesn't care what's happening to them. Do you still have no faith that I love you, that I care for you, that my kingdom can withstand all of this like it's withstood all of that before? And when life is pushing in hard against you and me, it's natural to ask, Lord, don't you care that we drown? Jesus, you got us into this. You're going to have to get us out of it. Lord, don't you care that my life is falling apart? Lord, don't you care that, about the way people are treating me? Lord, don't you care that, that there are people who want to destroy the institution of marriage? Don't you care that, that there are a lot of people who are believing these atheistic books that profane your name? Lord, don't you care that life is hard for people who live in places like the Sudan and Sierra Leone and, and Colombia and Honduras, Indonesia, China, Iran? Don't you care that your people are being persecuted and martyred while the powerful just keep getting and doing whatever they want? Lord, don't you care that vulnerable, innocent people are being abused? Don't you care that other religions of the world seem to be taking over? Don't you care that, that prominent church observers are predicting the imminent demise of your church? Lord, you can't just sit there. You need to panic. 
These are tough times. The church is in trouble. We're in trouble. Do something. Wake up. And the Lord says to us, you still have no faith? How long have we been together? How many miracles have you seen me do? How many people through the years believed that the church was going under and that God's people were being eliminated? How many obituaries of the church have been written through the centuries? Has it ever come true? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Remember that seed in the ground. And I know it looks dead and dormant, but it's not. It's going to be bigger and stronger than you can imagine. I remember hearing missionaries talk about the, the time when they had to leave China, 1949. Left a, a few million Christians in that great nation. And they worried for the next 30 years about what was happening there. And in 1979, when the doors of China began to creak open open, and word began to, to leak out, there were no longer a few million Christians. There were now 60 or 80 million Christians. And what looked dead was alive. And I wonder sometimes if, if the most common blasphemy we make against God is to accuse Him of not caring. And in that accusation, implying that God is not sovereign, that God is not willing to help us, that God doesn't want to help us, that God can't help us. And presumptuously, that we know better than God does how to rule this world. Do you believe that the kingdom of God is greater than the difficulties and the struggles and the opposition that you are facing? When these things loom so large and and, and the battle seems so fierce and the circumstances so unfair, can you still believe that the kingdom of God is invincible? disciples don't answer Jesus' questions. They just stand there dumbfounded looking at the calm sea trying to fathom who in the world is in the boat with them. Mark tells us that they are actually more frightened after the sea is calm than when it's raging. They're afraid when the storm is raging. When Jesus calms the sea, they're terrified. They feared with a great fear. Is literally what he says. And they are beginning to realize that the sea, which throughout biblical history represents the demonic and evil and chaos, that the sea can't stop the kingdom but the kingdom can stop the sea
And you and I need to get that perspective. We need a new perspective of who Christ is and His kingdom. That His kingdom is invincible. That His kingdom will stand forever. And that all the attacks of the evil one against God's kingdom and His people, though harsh and difficult to face, will never prevail. Because Christ's kingdom is forever. And He is greater than the enemy. I think one of the reasons corporate worship is so important for us is that it helps us sort of reset our focus. We come together every week and and we sing hymns and songs to remind us of, of God's greatness and of God's care. And we read the scriptures and we're reminded again of who God is and what God has done and what he promises to do. And we fellowship with one another and we share our stories of how God is at work in our lives. And we encourage one another. All of this helps us reset our focus away from the storm to Christ. Away from the attacks to the one who gives us strength to get through those. And the ultimate question for us today is really this. Do you have faith to believe that God is bigger and stronger and greater than anything that comes against his kingdom or we who are in his kingdom? Do we believe that his kingdom cannot fail? Through every age of of God's history, of God's people, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in 2,000 years of church history, there have been times when people thought God's people were going to be eliminated. That the forces of evil were finally going to bring it all to an end. Never. And things may look different and the church may need to adjust a little bit. And there are times when we are more free than at other times. And the opposition gets stronger in some places and sometimes and it backs off in other places and other times. But the one constant is that the seed of God's kingdom is planted deep and it will grow. And nothing can stop it. And if God can prevail in the world, He can prevail in your life and in mine. And we began this service by singing Luther's great hymn that reminds us the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, His kingdom is forever. As we prepare to leave this place, we're going to sing together Charles Wesley's hymn that says, His kingdom cannot fail. He rules o'er earth and heaven. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. So lift up your heart and lift up your voice and rejoice.
Again, I say, rejoice. Gracious Father, Father, we need a new glimpse of the power of your kingdom. Lord, we need to see and to know and to feel and to live the eternal nature of your kingdom. Father, give us a new glimpse, a new picture, and give us new faith to believe. And in our belief to rejoice. Amen.